0: I wanted to put a verse up on the on the screen, and you know I think God God's word works in lots of different ways, um, and I think it's really good when you read through the Bible, God speaks to you over and over again, and, and you can do exegesis in that way. And there's other times, and I don't know if you've had this, where actually it feels like God doesn't let you away with a passage. This has been the way it's been for me. If you could just pop it up on the screen, I kind of want this uh, passage in Colossians really just to. Just to sit over the next three weeks, we're going to look. We're going to look through the Easter story. We're going to see, we're going to see, investigate the story, and really investigate the character of Jesus in it. But I, this can pass us by so quick. Stuff just passes us by. Then I want Easter to grab us. This is the story that changes things. So I want us to be really bothered about this reading. I was, um, I was listening to a podcast, like a, a, a radio interview thing, on on, t- on two items, and it's. It was on fashion and finance, two areas of my life that, that, that could do with a bit this room. You know, there's a bit of room for improvement in fashion and finance. So I stayed with this interview on fashion and finance, but it didn't, it, it didn't keep me, if I'm honest. It was losing me pretty quickly. And the, this, this fashion expert was talking with great enthusiasm about sorting out your winter wardrobe. And I thought, what, what what is that? What the heck is a winter wardrobe? What is that? What is a winter wardrobe? And talking about how you can, you know, re-energize in, in, old summer outfits, you know, this sort of thing. And I'm thinking, what what am I listening to? And, and and this and this podcast is beginning to lose. It's losing my attention and losing my interest. And then they start to talk about these these two worlds come together. This idea of finance and clothes. And how much money should we spend on clothes? Was the question. And I'm just about to switch off when this really trendy fashion expert says, well, I guess it just depends on what you think the purpose to life is. And I was kind of like, whoa, where did, where did that come from? Where did that question jump into the, into the picture? And, and from being completely disengaged, I was, I was interested. And I don't think it really helped the idea of talking about fashion anymore in the interview, but it was a great listen. Isn't it, isn't it true how often in our lives... The idea of our purpose, even though it just sits kind of underneath, is seen in just about everything that we do. Those of you, I bet, I'm, I don't bet, but I bet, I bet you guys, working away, thinking about your careers, come across every now and again, the idea, should I, should I invest more time into my work? Would that reflect my purposes in life? Should I invest less time in my work? People do this, don't they? People People drop out of work altogether and take a complete career change. And it's not for the sake of work. They are working out their purposes in life. This idea of finding our purpose sits behind so much of what we do. People will fly into space in order to find the purpose for life. It lies underneath the drive of everything that we do. Mark Twain said this, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day that you find out why. It's true, isn't it? Our purpose generates so much of what we do and what we think of this world. And I, I want to put this up because this, this I mean, I'm going to explain it afterwards, but I want you to really bear with me. This, this sorts it out. This explains it. And this, this hasn't been able to go away for me. So I'm going to read through it in, in the message, which is not a version it's a paraphrase, and you're going to have to do the hard graft, the hard work of following it up on there in the NIV. but I'm hopeful that within that process the, the picture will be illuminated, and you'll really be able to take something out of these verses, thinking about our purpose in life. What are we here for? We so it's verse 15, so you follow it along up there. We look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Verse 17, he was there before any of it came into existence. And holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning, leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, There, he's there, towering above everything, everyone. Verse 19. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Verse 20, not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. We we think of this, this Easter story, don't we? And, and we think of the things that it does. And In a lot of respects, it sort of pulls the Bible together. You could say that. It makes sense of Scripture. The idea of Jesus makes sense of Scripture. It it ticks the salvation box for us. It does that, doesn't it? That's another thing that it does. We see the Easter story, and in there lies the heart of salvation. It does so much. But what it does beyond that is it explains, and this is what the passage is saying. Stare at those words. It explains the purpose for everything. Everything. We are looking to find sense, and this explains the purpose behind everything. The reason that you look at the sun rising in the morning and it feels good is because of him. The reason we feel that, the reason the sun warming up our faces helps, helps us feel better, helps the plants to grow, is because of him, to bring him glory. He makes sense of everything, The reason that the stars do not fall out of the sky and the reason that we are motivated and capable and clever enough to put planes that can fly in the sky is because of him. The reason we run, we breathe, we rest, we sleep is because of him. Everything is driven by him. He is the beginning and the end. He is the alpha and the omega. And he is, and this is crucial for us, the beginning, the end. Where are we? Somewhere in between. I raised this and I, I sort of stole on it and we're not even into the theme yet, which is you know, it's, it's not very good, but there we are. It's important. For two reasons. One reason, as, as Ant sort of illustrated at the start, and I guess I saw this in the supermarket in the week. A couple of times I've gone in to buy eggs, I've seen Easter, and I've thought, Oh, that's great. Easter's in the supermarkets, and there's been eggs and frogs coming out of e- frogs coming out of eggs. And Easter bunnies. And I, and I love this. I Don't take the chocolate eggs away. I love the chocolate eggs. I would be the saddest man if they took the chocolate eggs away. But this story is the signpost to the meaningful life on this planet. And we mark it with Easter eggs and frogs getting out of Easter eggs and Easter bunnies. It's like trying to navigate your way to your holiday in France using a ball of wool and a woman's weekly. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever to mark it with eggs. It does make some sense. You can read some sense into it, but you know what I'm saying. This can be a distraction. This is the most important story in the world. This is the story that makes sense of our lives. Enjoy the chocolate. Enjoy the bunny. Search for the lamb, the meaning behind the story. Second reason is this. is because so often in our lives, Things don't make sense. Stop and think about that. How often in our lives do things just not make sense? The pieces don't quite stack up. You stop and you do. How many times do we reevaluate our life? How many times do we stop and go, need to think about this some more? Need to rethink about this? Need to work this out again? Need to reassess this? Life often, even for seasoned, holy, Bible reading Christians, every now and again, life doesn't make sense. What do we do? when life doesn't make sense? What does this passage tell us that we should do when life doesn't make sense? It says, and and this is the thing, what do we do when life doesn't make sense? We rush off to do something, don't we? We rush off, we change our job, we do this, that, and the other, good things, but what does the Bible say about what we should do when life doesn't make sense? It says you need to read the story of Jesus again because this is the story that makes sense of the fabric of the whole world, even to the point where you're thinking about your winter wardrobe, And the purposes behind your life, the next 10 years, your next job, your future partner, whether you should have kids, all of that is bound up in this man, Jesus Christ. So integral is he to the fabric. So when we remember Easter, let's remember it's about the cross. We're going to pray just now again. And there's been lots of praying and that's good to bring this before God. And we're we're going to jump into this subject of Jesus, our priest. And I'll be 15 minutes I promise but I want you to commit to this and engage in this this is a great story it's important that we that we look behind the text let's just bow our heads Father just now um thank you for the the joy of some of the songs we can sing about a, about a risen savior and um, thank you for wh- how it makes us feel the hope that it brings just, just now, Father God, help us, just as we dwell on it again, to be really wise, to listen in really carefully, to be desperate to soak up more of this story so that it reflects on the way that we live, to be challenged by it again. We, we, are, we have seen your cross many times, and yet it is the thing that makes sense of our lives. Father God, move us with it again. Move us with this story again, we pray, that we might live for you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So our theme is, and I just wonder at this point we could pop up the next uh, text in the background. That's helpful just to have it up there. Jesus is our priest. These these two stories don't, these two high concepts don't necessarily come together that easily for us, do they? Jesus being a priest and the story of Easter. Maybe maybe they do for you. Maybe you're a good Bible student. And you've got this sewn up and worked out. But we have a, we have a, an image of a priest, don't we, in our, in our heads and. Um, Sometimes it's not always good stuff when we think about what a priest is. Sometimes it is, but we have like the, the robes and the clothing and the little dog collar and he's maybe, he's, he's in his church or he's in a box and he's taking confession. These are the images that we have when we think about a priest. And then we have, we have the Easter story and we have Jesus taken up to Calvary and he's crucified and he's risen again. And we think, well, where is priest in that? But it's true stories on the face of it. Sometimes don't always look like the stories underneath the skin of it. Um, a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, about a month ago now, there was the you remember the the, the terror attacks in London? Do you remember this this story? And and I'm I'm like, I'm I'm getting old and I love news. I'm just kinda soak news up. Do you get that? I just kinda love need my BBC updates. I don't really know what I do without a BBC update. And I feel like now I go into my phone and I've typed in BBC News which just makes me so boring, before I even really know what I'm doing. And, and, and we get the this, this story, but it's breaking news. You know, you get a little BBC news comes up. There's been, there's been an incident on London Bridge, and there's been a stabbing at Parliament. And you get the story on the face of it. You get the story on the face of it. And then and you, what we do with 24-hour 24, 24 news now is we try and work it out at the same time, don't we? We've got to try and go along with it. We get to play detective. It's not just like we get Michael Burke at 10 o'clock telling us what it all, how it happened and what it all means. We get the story right on the moment, and you've got to try and work it out. Work out what's happening in the story. But because, because, we, because we've lived in this story of terror, most of us can remember back to Iraq wars and the invasion of Kuwait. Because we are so familiar with this story, when we hear... Two stories in London, a a guy crashing into people on London Bridge and a policeman getting stabbed. There's red flags that rave, that rave, (laughs) red flags that wave for us, isn't there? We start to put a few pieces to this story together. We think, this is, I I know, I know this, I know what this means. Somebody somebody nicking some transport and behaving crazy with it. I've seen this before. Somebody attacking, you know, a democratic symbol i've seen this before i know what this means and the story that on the face of it is just a guy stabbing a policeman and killing some people on london bridge starts to build up and there are more and more layers and then you start to think about it some more and you explore it some more and you realize this is an attack on democracy and western values and then, and, and then you dig up the story some more. And, and, and at one point, on one level, it's just a story in London that's really separate from you. And as you dig around it, you realize actually these are my freedoms and my liberties that are affected. This isn't just a story about one man who's killed some people. This is a story that affects me. I want us to think about what Luke's done in this narrative. What does he get us to think about? Because we see the story here on the face of it and we miss some of the depth and some of the meaning. The last... The last verse that was in the reading, there, when we see what the disciples, when we see what Peter was trying to work out about the story, he says, says that Peter went away and he was wondering to himself what all these things meant. This is Peter. Peter, who had seen it all, goes away and he is wondering what all these thing, things meant. I guess, in terms of the 24 hour news analogy, he's getting the first reports. And he's seen it, and he's trying to work out what it means. I want us just to place ourselves for a second inside Jerusalem. Think about what it would have been like for those couple of days in the heart of the Easter story. Some some guys just popped outside of his front door, and he's heard the commotion. And Jesus is walking past, blooded and dragged up the hill. And he doesn't know Jesus, He's, he's heard that he's a good man, and he goes away, and that's kind of the end of the story for him, and he wanders past the temple, and he hears the commotion out of the temple a couple of hours later, as the temple curtain is torn in two. And he's thinking, well, what does this mean? There's another woman there at the side of the cross, and there's a Roman soldier there, the sky goes black, the Roman soldier says, surely this was a righteous man. Kind of goes against everything that it would probably mean to be Roman, declaring anyone other than Caesar, God, he says, and he says, this guy was a righteous guy, and this woman's trying to figure out what this story means. And as the whole of Jerusalem is trying to work this stuff out, spends three or four days trying to root through it and work it out, there are stories coming out of other parts of the countryside that this same Jesus is walking around eating breakfast with people and talking and explaining things again. And this is a story that people working out, what does it mean? What does it mean that the curtain was torn to? What does it mean that Jesus died? What does it mean that there was blood everywhere? And we read a lot about the suffering of Jesus. What does this mean? What is this story about? To explain this, I wonder if this will work. Yeah, we need to go back to, see the big clean part of the Bible here? We need to go back to the clean part of your Bible. Um, Leviticus and Exodus. You're very familiar with Leviticus, right? You've read it. Over and over again, haven't you? It is, it is where my, my reading the Bible in a year stopped so many times. Leviticus 18, rules about mildew. I just I think it's 18. I can't get past it. It kind of breaks me every time. It's the clean part of your Bible. And, and up to that point, the stories, you know, it's, it's stories that we can really follow. And then God gets really specific about things that feel really alien to us. Talks about sacrifice and blood and, and priests and things like that. And, and we, we read it and we think, what does this? What does this mean? I want just for a second, just to try and put us back in that world, back in the world of the clean part of our Bible. Just maybe that we can make sense of it. We need to kind of understand the way God's people lived. We need to understand the message of the Old Testament. How did the people live? And you've got this got this scene where God is dwelling. So we really want us to get our head around. God is dwelling with the people. He's in the tabernacle. He's in the holiest of holies. Kind of like a tent. I hope I don't get it. I think the tabernacle might be, somebody will tell me afterwards if I've got this wrong. It might be about the same size as this room, though it might be a little bit bigger. And the Holy of Holies is within that, and God is in there, and the priests are in there. And the priests, right throughout Leviticus, it says, are just making sacrifice the whole time. Now, the thing I want you to get out of this distant story is that there was a way, a way for the people to dwell with God. This was God's. Way. So you've got your man who figures out that he's done something wrong or he wants to give thanks to God. In order for him and these people to dwell where God is, there is a way, there is a, there is a pattern and a path and a thing for them to do. So he goes off and he gets his animal because God needs sacrifice. So he gets his animal and he brings it back into the holiest of holies and he walks, all the tribes of Israel are scattered around, this, around the tabernacle and he gets his animal and he brings it to the gates of the tabernacle and there at this point he brings it to the priests and this is pretty gross stuff. Priests who, who seem to spend all their time just covered in blood. We think of priests, oh, we've got this image of priests in the box with the dog collar. We've got this image. These priests seem to be, every time I read about them, they're killing an animal and getting themselves covered in blood and need to get clean again. So this part of the way you bring your animal, you go to your priest, and he slays, slays it. Can you, can you even watch that when it's on the TV? Can you watch an animal when they, when, they take the, when they take a knife and cut its neck? I can't even look at that, but this is the daily reality for God's people to dwell. These are the pictures that are familiar in their minds. This process, this way to find righteousness with God. And and then they get there and they see in the distance the holiest of holies and the curtain and they know that God's there, but they can't get there. They need the priest to make the sacrifice. This is the picture that it leaves us with. To dwell with God The story of the Old Testament over and over again says there's got to be blood. There's got to be sacrificed. There's got to be a priest or you can't dwell with him. And ultimately this tells us that God is holy. We are not. We need somebody in the middle to mediate for us. Now Hebrews tells us, one of the lessons, I hope you're still with me, one of the lessons in Hebrews is that this system this God-initiated system was throwing up results that, that brings confusion to the story of God. Listen to what Hebrews says about it. Hebrews 10, 1 to 5. Thinking of this this way that the people have lived. The law, the way, is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly, year after year, Make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they'd have stopped being offered. For the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Do you see the picture? Because of the frequency of the sacrifices, it stopped showing people being changed back and working towards God. And it started showing us how much sin there is in the world, and how inadequate the priestly sacrifices are. That is the picture that's coming out of this story. Men are really sinful, and the priestly sacrifices aren't enough. It stopped looking like God changing them, and it started looking like just highlighting the fact that men are really sinful. Do you know that way when somebody needs to apologize to you, and they keep apologizing to you about the same thing? They keep messing up, and they keep coming back to you and saying, I'm really sorry about that. I'm really sorry about that. I'm really sorry about doing that thing. And and after so long, it stops looking like an apology. And it starts just looking like evidence of somebody who really doesn't care what you think. Like when an addict will say, this is my last drink. Never going to drink again. Once you've said that a hundred times, it stops being the start of a change. And it just evidences the fact that there's a real problem. That is the story that Hebrews is reporting with these people. There is just a real problem. So we find ourselves back with the disciples wondering about what all these things mean. Why is Jesus covered in blood on his way up to Calvary? Why is there a cross? Why is there this public display of death? Why, why is the curtain torn in two? What, what do these things mean? And you start to realize, or some people have started to realize, that this is the priest that answers the problem of the whole of the Old Testament. Jesus comes and in a perfect way makes a perfect sacrifice, goes into the presence of God and is able to come away unscathed. This is not the criminal revolutionist, but it's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the whole world. This man was not dragged to the cross, but he left heaven's glory and put himself there. And the curtain is torn in two. Why is the curtain torn in two? Because we've got the perfect sacrifice. We don't need the curtain. the curtain stands there in the Old Testament. It says God is holy and you can't get there but for a priest. You can't even dwell around him but for a priest. And the curtain says you can't even see God. And in this story, the curtain can't help but be torn into because of what Jesus has done. I want us just to think about what that means for us when we think about what it means to dwell with God. The way we draw near to God in this story has changed. So we should give glory to God. And it affects how we look at the cross. We look at the cross now. And, we, and, and this, is, this is the thing it keeps us at the cross. And we look at the cross and we can just celebrate it and marvel at it and be shocked at it because it means so much to us. It means that we get to draw near. To God, I want you to remember a few things about it this Easter. God, Jesus goes there alone. I want that word to haunt you a little bit. He goes there alone. We remember, don't we, that He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we've got this idea that God turns His face away. We sing that, don't we? This idea that God has left Him. Well, we have the same on the other side, on the earthly side of it. We've got to remember that the Romans. Crucified him, his disciples all ran away. He was he was at the point where mankind needed a saviour the most. He was completely alone. And in his aloneness, he carries our sins. How hard is it when, and this is a very inadequate analogy. How hard is it when somebody puts something on you, blames, and you blames you for something, and you've got to you've got to just sit with it. You don't correct it to other people, you just it just sits on you. I hate that. I hate having to suffer that. For one person, I can barely keep my mouth shut without wanting to correct it. Jesus carries the sins of the world on his own. And I want us for a second to draw on those images that we have given to us via the passion of the Christ and any other, any other, maybe other imagery that we've seen of this Savior on a cross, hands outstretched, in the gap, for us. What does it mean? Hebrews 10, 19, 22 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith that brings, that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with living water. About 10 years ago, I was really, maybe even longer than 10 years ago, I was really blessed. Um, somebody gave me a wad of money to buy a car. Now, I don't want to do the poor man tale, but there's an element of the poor man tale. We needed a car. We didn't have loads of money and somebody Somebody who who was just very kind and very rich as well, just blessed us with some money and said, I want you to buy a car with this money. Now, the backdrop to this story is I um, I worked at the mill with me dad. Overalls every day. Um, I don't think I smelt great. I think there might have been an element of I carried an order. <laughs> I worked hard and I carried an order. There was often evidence of a fried sandwich around the outskirts of my mouth. And sometimes I looked a bit disheveled. You could say that. And every morning, I walked to the signy shop, and I walked past this car garage, and I would often wander right close up to the window. And it was one of those windows, you know, where you can, you can kind of see in, but you don't know, you don't know that everyone's looking at you. you know how blacked out? So I think every morning, I looked in. I never went in, but I would always check out the cars. And I'm guessing—I don't know this, but I'm guessing—some of these people knew who this ridiculous character with the egg on his face and the dishevelled look was. That was years, years and years, and all of a sudden. I've got some money in my pocket to go into this garage and buy a car. I cannot tell you. I had 10 minutes out of work, got my fried sandwich, ate it quickly, everywhere. Into the car showroom, never been in before. And you know what these showrooms are like, like whitewashed floors, perfection. Everyone's wearing pristine suits. And I'm in there leaving a trail of smells and oils and every other kind of thing. And I'm just wandering around the car, just loving, lo- loving this rare situation. I got a text from my um, from my bank saying, something incredible has happened to you in your life. <laughs> you need, to, you know, something's happened. You've got some money in your account that's not normally there. And I, was, and I was faced with this incredible situation. And I went down, and I picked my car that I was going to buy, and I sat down next to the pristinely dressed salespeople, shiny white teeth, excellent, all that, all that kind of stuff. And we had the, I'd like to buy a car chat. And she looked at me and said, we have some good finance deals sir, available to you. And there was all this sort of chat going on. And I stood there, and it was incredible. And I just was able to say, and I'm not being cocky about it. I was ridiculously blessed. I was able to say, I'd "Just like to buy the car for cash, please." It was just amazing. You got it. If 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 you're ever out again, if you're ever out buying a car, just get dressed up in some oily rags and just wander in and just you know just do it that way. It's just, it was incredible. And she kept saying, "So we have some really good finance deals for you." And I could say, and here's the thing, I could say not because of anything I'd done, not because of any career success or anything, because of what somebody else had blessed me with, I was able to say with confidence, I'll just buy the car. Do you have any idea, any idea at all, what it means for us to draw near to God's presence? We, you look like me, covered in oil, in a place that you've got no real right to be, and yet we can walk up to the throne room of God and say, well, thank you. Or we can say, this. A couple of things I want, I want you to think about and take away what this, this great news means, this beautiful news for us. Next time there's a dip in your prayer life, you've not prayed for a bit, it happens, it happens to me, it happens to us. We, we, we go away from God and then something happens in our life, a disaster happens in our lives and we rush back to be near to God. We rush back to his side and we plead with him. What I want you to remember is we can do that because of what Jesus did at the cross. We draw near to God through Jesus' amazing, stunning, beautiful sacrifice. The next time we are gathered in a room like this, and, as, and, and I had that actually today as we, as we shared communion and as we sang together, there was a sense, a wonderful sense of God's spirit, God's presence among us. When we feel that together, what we've got to do is remember that that is down to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Just want to put one more challenge your way, then we're finished. If if this is a story that's new to you, that you don't know, that you may be wondering about, that you may be thinking about, you've got to go fire the cross.